0: We must be risk-takers, calculated and faithful, trusting in God. And today, it's the reality of aging. We want to understand it. We don't want to fight it. We want to excel in it. And so if you're there, we're in Ecclesiastes 11.7, and here's the overview. Foster joy. The Last time it is in the book. Foster joy. Face reality. If fostering joy, that is the best way to approach life. From young to old, foster joy. Face reality. This is the best way to approach death. Death is coming. I assure you, it is coming, and we don't know when. And so we better approach it. We better say, like Paul, to all who love, is appearing. Do you love is appearing? Are you? Can you not wait? And then finally, the conclusion of it all: fear God. And so we begin in verse 7, eight, uh, seven and eight. Light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Amen. And Solomon, by the way, he's going to speak in metaphor uh, here when he talks about age. But throughout most of this, he's just been talking about physical life. This is life under the sun. And he said light is sweet. If you think about it, we, we don't. This is why kids get spring fever. The spring comes, the sun's out. They want to be out of school. And it's just sweet. You get vitamin D. Light is sweet and it's pleasant to the eyes to see the sun, physical reality. So in verse 8, if a person, so this is Solomon saying to everybody, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Young and old rejoice, foster joy, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. The longer you live, the more chance you have of seeing dark days. And Solomon says, all this is vanity. All of this is quickly passing. You have an opportunity to enjoy life, all of life. And I love what he says here. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Rejoice in every year. How do you rejoice in every year? Here's my exhortation to you. Find one reason, find one reason to be joyful every day. One reason doesn't have to be a bunch, but every day. I was thinking about this when preparing this morning. I was thinking about Ashley and I went through some tough times early on here. But I can look back and say, I had my wife. And we had a place to stay. We had a place to lay our head. And, and I had people around me who loved Jesus. Find one reason to be joyful every day. But remember... The days of darkness are many and it all comes to vanity. He goes on and he says, and he's now speaking to those of you in here who we'll just say are less than 42. If you're 41, this is to you. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes, but know, that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Whoa, what a great verse that covers everything. Rejoice, young people. Rejoice. Let your heart cheer you. Follow your desires is what he's saying in the ways of your heart and the sights of your eyes. But only understand this. Do it through the lens of Scripture. Do it through the lens of God. Here's what I'd say to the young people in here today. Love God first and foremost. and Do what you want. Love God first and foremost. And then do what you want. Follow your heart. I, or another way you could say it is live it up with wisdom and purity, understanding God's going to judge. More on that in a minute. What I else I would say is what Solomon says to the youth. He's still talking to the youth. Verse 10, remove vexation from your heart. And put away pain from your body and from youth in the dawn of life or vanity. The NAS says grief and anger. The net Bible, I think, captures. It's a good trans. It's a good commentary on his banish emotional stress from your mind and put away pain from your body for youth and the prime of life are fleeting. The older I get, the more I'm convinced I would be vexed at much less. And I like vexed. And that's a good word in the ESV because it kind of captures. It's a very complicated word in the Hebrew, has all sorts of meaning. Grieving, frustration, anger, remove vexation. the older I get i 'm often trying to teach my kids, and I think the Lord wanted me to learn this today i 'm often trying to teach my kids big deal or little deal, big deal or little deal, right whoa, whoa what 's going on here? the crayon, oh my big deal or little deal right i'm trying to teach my kids that, and then I had to. Stand back this morning, like Jug. God's trying to teach me that. At forty-three or two, I forget. I'm getting old. Forty, terrific. Big is this a big deal or a little deal? Big deal or a little? deal? The older I get, the less vexed I would have been. I, I would have been less angry. And in fact, I just want to show you some things that the Lord's been helping me work through all of this in my short life here on earth. Pallison has some question. Dr. David Pallison has some questions when it comes to dealing with anger. Do you get angry at the right things, and do you handle anger in the right way? I'm teaching people that I know real close this Psalm 4-4, be angry and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Do you get, am I getting frustrated and vexed at the right things? Am I getting vexed because the world sees uh, marriage as something that's flippant? Uh, am I seeing that can be done by anybody, anywhere, anyway? Uh, am I getting vexed because I see a cold hearted surgeon caught on camera destroying life in utero? Do I get vexed? That's a good reason to be vexed. Do I handle it in the right way? Tim Keller, Dr. Tim Keller gave some quips on this. You have questions from Pallison. Dr. Tim Keller gave some quips in a sermon. This is great. It helped me remember. It's a memorable saying, much like Solomon writes. He says, it's not no anger. You're, you're crazy if you say you should never get angry. Jesus got angry. God is angry. God is angry at sin all day long. Psalm 7, Psalm 11, read it. It's in there. He's not just a grandpa who winks at sin. He is angry at sin all day long. That's what the Bible says. So it's not no anger, but it's not blow anger. It's not blowing up in anger, but it's slow anger. God is slow to anger and he's abounding in loving kindness. Are you slow to anger? Young people, learn that now. Remove vexation from your heart. Live reverently and intentionally because life is vanity. And now we move into the last chapter. In the beginning of this chapter, uh, really, this chapter 1 through 8, verses 1 through 8, is really just a, a recycling, not a recycling, but a repetition of what happened in 1, 1 through 11. We saw the, the circularity of life. If we were to flip back there. I don't have the verses up there, but he talks about the generation goes and the generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around and around goes the wind. And it's just this cycle of life. And so it was generally about life. Here it is specifically about the life of a human. One through eight. And he begins with this. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Young people think about God a lot now. It's like those who have trained for endurance races. They've built their base and they've put in their miles early and so they can go out and run now. Remember your creator now and it will become a part of your life. He created you. I love that. Remember your creator. You were created. You did not evolve. God used uh, human means, your parents, to create you, but you were created. And so remember him. Reflect on him in the days of your youth. You have a duty of reflection, it's commanded here. It's the duty of reflection. It's commanded in Scripture. Paul says in Second Timothy one seven, or two seven. Think on these things. Neglecting reflection is this thus a sin. We don't think a lot. We don't reflect a lot. Because when you reflect, why is it why is it commanded and why is it a sin if you don't do it? Because when you reflect, you were you think about God's providence. You can look back on your life and you can see God's hand moving. And you can say, wow, God was at work here. God was at work here. Do you remember this? God was at work here. And we couldn't give thanks without reflection. I thank you, God, for... And so if you're a thankful person, whether you knew it or not, you're in the duty of reflection. Why should we do this? Because in the end of verse 1 and in verse 2 and 6, 7, and 8, you're going to see dark days are coming. Three times you see this before, before, before. And we'll read them now. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Don't deny this, even if you're getting older. More on that in just a minute. But we've all been there and said, really? I'm getting older. Verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. I always love it when it rains here In Colorado, because when it rains, you you anticipate and you see these blue skies. Solomon says there's a day coming when the clouds return after the rain. Verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern, life under the sun is precious. He uses precious uh, metals there. He uses um, delicate things to show you life under the sun is precious. Remember this young people, because life is precious, and it's quickly passing in verse seven, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. You were created because God gave you life. life under the sun is perishable. we're all going to die and Solomon says, verse eight, vanity is of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity." It is what it is. It's quickly passing, and it can be meaningless if you don't understand the big picture. And so Solomon says, know what's going to happen before these things come, before there's a breakdown, because Ken may be going back to Florida, but there is no fountain of youth. There isn't. I have a picture. Ponce de Leon, first governor of Puerto Rico, found Florida. So this is the fountain of youth. And it's a, it's a myth throughout all, there are different places throughout all the world. People think if you go here, you will not age. I am so sorry, but people still die in Florida. I don't mean to give you the, be the bearer of bad news. I'm just telling you, just not right away. That's right. Just not right away. Have we ever had an interaction in the service? That's good. Little dialogue. We live in America who really, 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 really Americans in this culture really, really thinks through this drug or this magic exercise or this cool contraption, we're going to live forever. It's just not going to happen. And Solomon gives us a metaphor. When he talks about sensitive issues, he often talks, uses metaphor. In the Song of Solomon, he used metaphor. Um, when he was talking about his wife, he used metaphor. And this is a sensitive issue because people don't, for some reason, don't like to grow old, don't want to grow old. The Bible says, I want older women to train up younger women. I want older men to serve as an example. The Bible tends to kind of uphold the old. And it's okay. I got my hair cut yesterday and my boy's hair, I was like, wow, the difference. Their hair is light brown, and mine is almost black. And then my wife lovingly pointed out, and there's a lot more gray when it gets longer. It it just is, and you can fight it. I mean, I told her, I told her. We were we weren't married one year. I remember we were eating dinner at Dr. J. Smith's house, and he had that, he was just that cool prof who had the shaved head. And I said, baby, when my hair starts to go, I'm doing that. I'm just letting you know right now. I'm not going to fight it. I'm doing it. And guess what? A couple years ago, we're getting ready to go on vacation. I show up at the Daly's house. I'm like, you've gone before me. (laughs) Just want to be discipled. Show me how. And he brings out the clippers. (laughs) And there I go. It's 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 going to happen. So what I'm getting ready to show you, you better uh, you better appreciate that the Bible says it, and I'm willing to speak it because this is what's going to happen. Verse three, in a day when the keepers of the house tremble, the idea is when you keep their house, you're offering moving around, you're Mister Fix It, you're using your hands. They're just going to become weaker, and then the strong men are bent. It's just you see older men they're hunched over because their legs are not as strong and thus we need canes and then the grinders cease because they are few your teeth they're going dentures are coming those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut that the eyesight is getting worse you're going to need glasses, and then you're going to need better prescriptions. And so what I would say in verse 3, do some squats. You want to keep them legs as strong as you can for as long as you can. Floss. Rinse. You don't have to. This is what's happening. You don't have to just go, oh, I give up. My teeth are going to fall out. Never to brush again. No, brush. Brush floss there's so many good things that come from that and that's not just because we have some dentists in the congregation i'm just telling you eat your carrots i really and i've prayed this before i said lord i'm gonna eat carrots just give me good eyesight again i'm tired of contacts but it may never happen verse four when the sound of grinding is low the teeth again and one rises up at the sound of the bird your sleep is usually lighter and all the daughters of song are brought low if it's too loud the old saying is you're too old and 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 it's true we 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 had a sweet couple here some years back and we we literally turned down the volume because she had a particular bodily function that if it hit a certain decibel she'd get sick like, we want to honor you with that. And we had a little, do we still have it back there? Is it still sitting back there? Not anymore. A little decibel reader. It's it's there. Is it on? Fired up. So if you get sick and this, I mean, if we're too loud, we didn't have drums today. It's not too loud. We'll bring them back. But but hearing aids. They're coming. Verse 5. They're also afraid of what's high. And terrors are in the way. I, I've i seen this in my own family, my my in-laws, and my mother. They, they just they're. What did somebody call me? I'm, I'm a Flatlander. I, I'm think I'm not local yet, right? I've got about three years till I'm local, but <laughs> I think ten years I'll have tenure. Uh, but when I got here, I remember somebody goes, "Oh, you're a Flatlander." I'm like, oh, "But now I get it because they don't." It's it's harder for them to come up here. We just had a friend, Ashley's friend was here, and she had to go home. Because she had altitude sickness, and and you just don't see a lot of older folks, especially here in the mountains. It's just it's harder. I, I was running, doing a trail run yesterday with Ashley, and and I'm just making an observation. I'm not saying every, but there were there were not a plethora of people sixty plus busting down haysacker, the little zigzag. I didn't I didn't see it. You you can. You, you know what? You be one of the few that carry on, right? Keep going down. But but there, 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 there's heights and, and that's an issue. It's a, and terrors are on the way. There's fears that come when people get older. And so what, what we have to do, right, is we have to gather around those who are getting older and help them not be as fearful. And the almond tree blossoms. I showed you the picture of John Stott, young and old, because you, you saw it. You physically saw it. The hair, it's, it's turning gray. Don't Despise that, gray fellers. Somewhere in the Proverbs, I'm like the author of Hebrews, it says in there, gray hair is a sign of wisdom. Wear it proud, loud, baby. Spike it. Be youthful in your old age. Verse 5 the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along. The dexterity, grasshoppers were known for their skill and are just, our skills can cease. And desires fail. If you have a New American Standard, it says the caperberry is rendered ineffective or the New Living Translation and the caper berry no longer inspires sexual desires. Ahem. That's what happens. Why? Why does all this happen? Why, do our, why does our body get weaker and our fears grow a little bit? It's because man is going to his eternal home. It's the cycle of life. I I you know, I think you've heard this before that when babies are born, they look like old men. And you just, so take Rowan, and that's what he's gonna look like long after you're gone. <laughs> it's a cycle of life. We're going to our eternal home. Daniel says everybody will experience eternal life. To, to some to everlasting joy, to some to everlasting pain. But we're all going there, and the mourners go about in the streets. That's the funeral. That's the funeral. And so he says to all of us, rejoice. He didn't just say it to the young. He, he emphasized it to the young. Rejoice, O young man, verse 9. But he said, so if, if a person, any person, young or old, lives many years... I hope I have many more years. I hope I have 42 more. I going to be 84, maybe a hundo. It would be cool to be in the century club. What are you doing? Oh, I'm 100, just running an Ironman. No big deal. Do you do mountain climbing? Nope. Why not? Well, Ecclesiastes told me I'd be afraid of it. I agree. But we're growing old, and we're going to die. And so you can understand it, or you can try to reject it, or you can excel at it. You can say these are the years then that God has given me and I'm going to excel in it. Yes, I'm going to fight back what I can fight back. But until then, I'm going to want to see his appearing. I'm going to approach death with joy. I think of my aunt. And I, I, she, she, you don't even know her. She lived in Owasso, Oklahoma. And I think of, um, there was a gentleman who died. I don't know if it was Steve Jobs or... Or another gentleman, famous man on his deathbed. Hugo Chavez is Hugo Chavez. Is he? Is he? Is he deceased? Is he still? A, he. He did. Okay, that was him. Just a little interaction in the sermon today. My my mother's sister, Owasso, Oklahoma, had a peace had peace on her face. She was getting older. She gardened. She did what she could. She got to a point where the Lord took her. And there was never, there was never any uh, great turmoil. She just she said, I'm dying. And I got to go to her funeral. It was sweet. And I think it's Hugo Chavez. And on his deathbed, here's the man who had all the power in the world, so to speak. And He said, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want, he didn't know how to face death. He didn't approach death well. He didn't see the bigger picture. What does Solomon conclude with here? He could just end it. We all die. It moves on. No, he gives us five verses to chew on this. The very end. Besides being wise, this preacher also taught the people knowledge. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. He had wise, disciplined words. He was a student of the scripture. This is after all his shenanigans and his 700 wives and his 300 concubines. He sits down, he says, I have failed at some of these things, so I'm going to record it so people can come after me and learn from me. David said in Psalm 51 verse 13, Lord, restore me that I may teach transgressors their ways. He didn't give. A, he didn't get to a point and said, oh, "I'm too old. I've done too much." He said, "I'm going to teach the younger generation," and that's what Solomon does. And he arranged it. He weighed and he studied. Do we weigh? Do we study? Do we think through the scriptures like this? Here's what Paul said: Do your best. I see where Tony Horton got it. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. How do you handle the scripture? Now more than ever, brothers and sisters, we, all of us, not just myself, all of us need to handle this because we're gonna come into contact with people every day and they're gonna fight against uh, all the big issues and they're all out on the table and you need to rightly divide this so you know how to handle it. Verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he spoke words of truth. Not only did he have disciplined words, he had delightful words. This was wisdom. This was wisdom. It was the words of truth. It was wisdom communicated. It says he wrote these words. He didn't just write them just for himself. He wrote them so that he could teach them. You see that in the whole book of Proverbs. My son, my son, my son, listen to these things. Not only is it wisdom and wisdom communicated, but it's wisdom communicated in a memorable way. He studied and he arranged many Proverbs. I mean, there are are Proverbs where I could give you the first part of it, and then you would finish it. Pride comes before, and a haughty spirit before destruction. People people just memorize those, they're memorable and wisdom is not only communicated in a memorable way, but a joyful way. They're words of delight. They help us. This book helps us. There are wisdom sayings out there that help us, right? My wife and I, when we were over a singles ministry, there was this sweet family, and they were uh, they were solid. And this girl, I remember saying it one time, and it stuck. We asked her about how she was a good steward of her resources. She said, well, my mommy and daddy told me, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. I'm like, that's pretty cool. I'm going to use that. Right? And then we often asked, if you were to go ask my children, Lauren, Luke, Lawson, how are you to obey? Right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. You've heard you can never go wrong doing the right thing. John Piper had above his his ceiling as a kid. He he memorized it because his mama had it hanging there. Tis only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And perhaps my new favorite of all of these sayings I just saw on the internet the other day. I've got it up here for you, young people. To my children, never make fun of having to help me with computer stuff. I taught you how to use a spoon. That I will use for the rest of my life. Okay? It may be loading. You may know the ins and outs of your new computer, but I taught you how to use a spoon. Right? The preacher put these together in such a way. But going back to the scriptures, here's what verse 11 says. The words of the wise, they're like goads. Goads are like cattle prods. They were used to move sheep. They work because they caused a little pain. And the truth of God's word is, even when it's delivered in love, hurts sometimes. It hurts. And I think we in America have, a, have too tender of emotion that when somebody speaks words of truth to us, they hurt. Because they hurt, we think they're wrong. And that's just not right. They may hurt. They may sting. But it's, it's done to move us back in the right direction. They're like nails firmly fixed. These were tent pegs to hold down the tent. I mean, God gave me all sorts of good illustrations this week. I was at the gypsum uh, shooting range yesterday. My boys wanted to go shoot. So I'm like, yes, very manly thing to do with children. And I took them out there and it was wonderful. But there was this one tent that was getting ready to blow over and it didn't have any stakes. If it would have had stakes, it would have gone nowhere. So we put it down but that's what these words of the wise they're like they're like goads they sting they're like stakes they stick and they're collected in God's sovereign plan and to read about it and how it was put together you'd go really but he saw fit to give us 66 a little library a little library Collected sayings, and they are given by one shepherd. One shepherd. There's, there's one shepherd over the entire thing, and I have a slide here of different ways to look at this. They are given by one shepherd. In Ecclesiastes two, twenty six and Proverbs two six, it says, God gives wisdom. It's God who gives wisdom. In Psalm 23 and Psalm 81, he is He is the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not one. He's the shepherd over the land of Israel. The reason I show you those, he's the shepherd over individuals. He's the shepherd over every single person in here, should you know him. And he is the shepherd over this congregation as a whole. That's why if you were at Praising the Park on Thursday and you read the bio on Eagle Bible Church, it said Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of Eagle Bible Church. He is. He's the chief shepherd. He's been around the longest. Jim and I and Brian are just under shepherds. And that's what it says in 1 Peter 5. We're under shepherds. He's the chief shepherd. And in John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So if you're here today and you don't know the good shepherd, find myself, find anyone, I would hate for you to see the cycle of life where we're supposed to rejoice in our youth and, and anticipate and rejoice and head into old age. Positive, knowing things are going to happen and that's okay and we're going to our eternal home. But I'd hate for you to see all that and miss the point that you will go to your eternal home one way or the other. And that eternal home will be with the good shepherd on the new heavens and the earth or it'll be not with him. Verse 12, he gives a warning. My son, be a, Beware of anything beyond these, beyond these collected sayings by one shared, beware. Of the making of many books, there is no end, and much study is in weariness of flesh. So I'll quote Psalm 4, love, I need to get another book, because it says the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom, acquire wisdom, that happens through books. And she'll say, of the making of many books, there is no end. And of much study, there is weariness of flesh. Here's my exhortation to you. Instead of being well-read, because that's kind of hip, trendy, and cool, read well. If you're going to read one thing, and I say, and you're like, really, you're a pastor, Bible church, really say this? (laughs) Yes. Read your Bible. Don't dip into it. Um, like dip your toe in the pool. Dive in the deep end and read it. I was just talking to a brother this morning. I said, just read it. I don't want you to read it and try to find the, these little, don't, don't read it for proof text. Take the thing and just consume it. Why don't you, why don't we? I'd be happy to do this. Take a month. Don't read anything else. Don't read a blog. Don't read anything else. Just read your Bible. See how much you can get through. See how many times you could read a particular book. Don't read anything else. I'll be willing to do it with you. But uh but I, I keep up with the news. News. You just ask, hey man, what's going on? Who's ahead in the British Open? Somebody will tell you you didn't need to read about it. Ah, oh, I don't know what's going on in the world. Hey, is there anything going on in the world? Yeah, there was this Cold-hearted doctor who we call on. I mean, you can get your news through other people. You don't have to read the newspaper. Yes, read your work stuff. Don't go to work and say, my pastor said not to read. I'm not going to read these invoices. Go to work and do your work. If you're a lawyer, read. But your extracurriculars, put those books on a shelf for a month. They'll be there when you get back. Read your Bible. Read it. Because I say it over and over. The challenge with Bible churches is sometimes we don't read our Bibles. Read your Bible. All these other books, they're good, but beware. I didn't say it. Solomon did. Verse 13, we're almost done. The end of the matter. All has been heard, for this is the whole duty of man. What is it that we end with? We've given you life as a cycle. There's nothing new under the sun. We've talked about intellect. We've talked about wealth. We've talked about power. None of that can save you. None of that will satisfy. We've talked about time and God is sovereign over time. We've talked about a whole plethora of wicked, puzzling issues. We've talked about rejoicing in the wife of your youth, the singular wife. Solomon, after he'd had a thousand said, I'm coming back to one wife, not husband, not any, but wife. We've talked about risk. You've got a risk. Your whole life is a risk. But above all that, what is the end of this? And We've talked about, you're going to die. I'm going to die. I've got gray hair. If you don't have gray hair, you're going to get it. Cover it up if you want. That's fine. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. I was thinking, every time you talk about the fear of God, you always, how can I couch this in such a way some people may have never heard the concept before and they run it. What does it mean to fear God? When I fear something, I want to run away from it. I don't hope in it. But Psalm 147, 11 says, those who fear their Lord, yet, yea, those who hope in God, how, how do you do it? And Clyde gave it to me in his prayer. Thank you, God, that when you're firm, you're firm, but when we sin, we can come back to you. That, that's what it means to fear God. He is, God, think about, He is the creator of the universe. Out, If we were not holy, He's the most terrifying being ever. And at the same time, He's the most comforting. That you fear Him and you don't want to upset Him. But if you do, you want to run to Him. That is the fear of God. You don't want to upset Him. But should you, you want to run to Him. Fear God. And we, we, starting with myself, I would say, uh, us as a congregation, I would say the entire country need a good, healthy dose of the fear of God. And how do you prove that you have this attitude of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? You, you keep his commandments. You love your neighbor as yourself. You keep his commandments. This is your whole duty. You mean my whole duty is coming down to obedience. Yeah. Obey. Obey. Okay, I'll just go out and do my duty. No, no. Look at this slide. Legalism. We don't want to be legalists. I love this. You see the heart there? You see the heart behind it? Legalism. Legalism. Lacks the supreme sense of worship. It obeys, but it doesn't adore. That's good. Legalism obeys. I do this, I do this, I read my Bible, uh, I love my wife, I bought her flowers, I handed them to her, I said it with this monotonous little robotic thing. Here's your flowers. She doesn't want flowers like that. She wants she would she would say, take those flowers and flush them. <laughs> I don't want flowers just because you feel like you have to give me flowers. I want you to give me flowers. Legalism says you just obey. License says you don't have to obey. Liberty, the law of liberty, James says it, says you obey and worship. You fear God and you worship. Why? Why should we fear God and keep his commandments? For this is the whole duty of man. And last verse, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You may think you're getting away with it. God sees. Proverbs 15, 3, the Lord 3, the Lord is in the heavens and he observes the good and the evil. Jesus said in Matthew ten don't fear him who can take your life. Fear the one who can take your soul. So how would, you end, how would Solomon end this book? He would say, there should be delightful worship. He wrote words of delight. We should worship God in a sovereign God with disciplined wisdom. <clears throat> and earlier we talked about the fountain of youth. There is none. But there may not be a fountain of youth, but there is living water. If you've got your Bible open, turn to John 4. 13 and 14. John 4, 13 and 14. There is no fountain of youth, but there is living water. How do you make it through life? There is a woman of Samaria at a well. Jesus, how do you, a man speak to me, a woman? You read the whole chapter. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Jesus had a divine appointment with his woman. And she was talking about, are you greater than our father Jacob? Verse 12, he gave us this well and drank from it as did his sons. And Jesus says in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. This physical water. You go to Florida. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's it's warmer weather. Um, It's a very athletic community. Right, You can go down there. You will extend your time on earth a little bit. But you will be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That one shepherd is also the living water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus was the master illustrator. And he said, you... you, are arguing over boundaries and physical wells and i want to give you something that you'll never thirst again and if you've tasted if you've truly tasted the love of jesus christ there's not there's not one religion there's not one world uh idea that you you sit there and go man i've i've tasted jesus I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but man, that sounds, that sounds better. You never thirst. You, like, you hear that and you're like, no, I'm satisfied. I've got Jesus. If you're here today and you haven't never tasted the living water, I invite you to. So how would you end the book of Ecclesiastes? Here's what I would say. God is sovereign. The world is fallen. We're all dying. Maximize your season. If you're young... And you don't have to worry about uh, mortgages and uh, insurance and biblical geriatrics. <laughs> enjoy it. Just enjoy life. If you're young, enjoy. If you're married and you don't have kids, live it up. We look back and my wife and I go, what did we do? Because <laughs> for so long we've had kids we're like, and we love them. I love all of them. But it maximize your season, and then now I'm going to maximize my season because right now we are in Legoland season, and that's where I'm going. I don't care, and I'm playing. I'm building something. I'm going to make some cool ship, and, and then we'll go to SeaWorld for you. <laughs> But I'm maximizing my season. No longer will I what if it. What if I get a house? What if I do this? What, what if, what if, what if? Because it, the longer you look over there into something that doesn't exist, you miss all the people and all the opportunities around you. Maximize your season and prepare for heaven. It's coming. I, for some reason this year, the Lord is so moved in my heart to just, I want to think about heaven more. We did a little series on the end times and I'm like, we need to talk about this more. We need to, th- that's what's coming. That's where we're going to spend eternity. If there, if, if all of life is between my fingers and we're, I don't know where we are on this continuum, but I mean, it's microscopic as to all of our life here. Eternity goes on forever. We're, we're just a little blip. Prepare for ha- That's where we're going to spend eternity. Paul said it like this, and I'll end with these two verses. I fought the good fight. He he was confident. He wasn't being uh, arrogant, but he was confident in his walk with the Lord. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. This is what I want to say on my deathbed. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've Kept the faith. And he was so sure of what he believed in here. He said, henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will award me on that day. Solomon said it. Judgment's coming. Paul connects it with Jesus, the righteous judge. He will award it on that day. And guess what? Here's the most wonderful part of this verse. That's not just for Paul. That's for you and me. Not only me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Let's prepare for heaven well.